Our first scripture reading is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. Shout it out loud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. And from the second chapter of Colossians, beginning with verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Since you died with Christ to the elemental, spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Palm Sunday to you. Good to see you. Um, so I read this week uh, in a couple of different places, and so maybe you, if you Google this, you can find some articles in um, non, non-religious media, all right? I can't actually remember the articles that I, where they came from, but they were sort of mainstream, you would say. 
I read about an 18-mile stretch of translucent wire that runs around a significant portion of Manhattan. Here's why this translucent wire exists. It's called an Arub, and it exists because of the Jews in that area and the way in which they practice Sabbath. So, at least for those Jews, at least observant Jews, um, on Sabbath, they aren't allowed to carry anything outside of the home. Books, groceries, even children. You can see how this would be difficult if you were a mama, if you couldn't carry your child outside of the home. So, in this particular area, they have created, and I don't exactly understand how this works, but they've created this 18-mile wire, and everything within it is now considered your home. So as long as you're in that 18-mile circle, you can do any of the things you want to do, right? Because you're at home. Now, uh, an author talks about how this was created by the sages of the Talmud to get around traditional prohibitions on carrying house keys, prayer books, canes, or walkers, or even children who could not walk on their own, which seems pretty absurd. So the wire itself is actually like a, a, a very humane thing to do. Imagine telling an elderly person you can't carry your walker outside of your home on the Sabbath. So in some ways, this wire is meant to enhance life, and yet at the same time, does it not ask the question, like, why are we even doing this at all? Why create rules that you create exceptions to so that you don't have to obey the rules? We could start out by just not having them, right? Today we finish our series on Sabbath, and by the way, this is by no means meant to be um, an indictment of observant Jews in Manhattan. Trust me, I found lots of uh, stories about Protestants doing similar things. I just happen to like that particular illustration, okay? But as we round off this Sabbath series, I guess I just, I really want to hone in on what are we doing here? You know, I've spent six weeks encouraging Sabbath. But to what end? You know, what started this whole process or this series for me was our study in Mark and the ways in which Jesus actually affirms Sabbath, but he, but he affirms it in the midst of being really critical of people who observe it wrongly. So Sabbath is tricky, isn't it? Jesus affirms it, says Sabbath was made for man, meaning it's for your good, and yet right and left people are doing it wrong. Not only are they, quote-unquote, doing it wrong, it somehow becomes a stumbling block for their ability to see Jesus, right? It's not even not helpful. It's not neutral. It becomes a problem, so how do we avoid that? If we're going to try and adopt Sabbath in the ways that seem healthy and good to us, what can we learn from our forebearers, whether it be people in Scripture or people around the world or maybe even things that we did yesterday, right? What can we learn so that when we keep the Sabbath, we really do keep it holy, 
and it doesn't become just one more thing that, what's the point of really doing it anyway? So to help us sort of unpack this concept, again, sort of learning from the mistakes of those who have gone before us, I've chosen two different examples of people who are, at least in one of the examples, it's mostly about fasting, but then it shifts to Sabbath. Both of them talk about Sabbath and ways in which you observe it in a way that, that in the end steals life from you when Sabbath is meant to be for your good. And so the very first one, which you had heard read a li little bit ago, Isaiah 58, let me give you some context for what's happening. Here's why Isaiah, or the, or the circumstance, the life situation that Isaiah is speaking to these people, saying your fasts and your Sabbath aren't cutting it. Well, they're living in exile. They've been carried off to Babylon, and life is pretty crummy. They have reason to call out to God. They are, I mean, first of all, they've been carried off to a foreign land. They're experiencing persecution, um, bondage, oppression, unmerited suffering. And as they should have done, they called out to God in Sabbath observance and in fasting and in prayer. That's what they were supposed to do. But it didn't seem to be, quote-unquote, working. And so, so the people are getting angry at God. Why aren't you listening? We're doing the things, God. All, all of this, again, is context for 58, uh, verse, excuse me, chapter 58. We're putting in the quarters of fasting and nobody's giving me the Coke, right? Like, I need to shake the vending machine of the Lord's blessing and flavor because somehow it's not spitting out what it's supposed to. And so Isaiah actually becomes very critical of them, even though they're the ones who are experiencing oppression. They're in a tough spot. But there's something inherently unholy about their response. And so Isaiah criticizes them not because their case is hopeless, but because he's hopeful. There are points in Isaiah where he sort of rips some of the leaders to shreds and more or less says, y'all are just reprobates, uh, you know, good riddance with you. But at least in this section, Isaiah actually really loves these people and believes that God loves them too and, and wants them to help them find the source of their suffering. But again, somehow... Somehow their observances are getting in the way of them seeing God in the same way that Sabbath observance among the Pharisees kept them from seeing God in Jesus Christ. And so this is where Isaiah talks a lot about how these individuals who are fasting for their freedom of oppression are simultaneously turning around and doing the same thing. They're exploiting their own workers. They're refusing to give food amongst their own who are needy. This crying out for righteousness is apparently conditional. They want things to be good for them. They don't want things to be whole for everybody. And so it, it almost, again, it is transactional. 
pop a fasting quarter or a Sabbath observance into the vending machine, and hopefully the Lord will pop out a, a good result for you. Without any real interest in that life should be made holy and whole, and that might require something of you. You see, they thought the problem was the Babylonians. Maybe the rot was a little closer to home, Isaiah is saying. In Colossians 2, the circumstances are actually quite different. In Colossians 2, um, these are new Christians who have decided that the way to experience God, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, experience God is to do extra things. But, this, but the similarity is, again, that as long as you do these certain practices, you pop the quarter in the machine, what you desire will pop out. There's this line about um, the elemental spirits of the universe, and I actually skipped it but should have included it. In verse 18, it talks about experiencing the presence of the angels. It isn't just Sabbath observance as it's, as it's described in the Old Testament that's being criticized here. It's this, I don't know what you would call it exactly, and I do think sometimes and in some ways we do it in Christian circles today that if you were only spiritual enough and did these like high holy things you'd experience the ecstatic presence of the Lord like me anybody know what I'm talking about no nope. <laughs> some of you are shaking your heads that's all good all right as if somehow if you just sang worship a certain way and like really felt the spirit that somehow you could manipulate God into granting you a particular experience for these Colossians, it had a lot to do with fasting and Sabbath. They were trying to control these elemental experiences so they could, like, call down angels to have these holy, heavenly experiences. It was back to manipulation. Not about being changed oneself, but forcing God to do something for you by observing a particular practice or habit. And Paul, in this case, is saying, not only is your motivation wrong, but you're also, like, not even, you're not even on the map. In the end, this experience is life-draining for you. These elemental spirits aren't real. It's Christ and Christ alone who has the power to change you. And so then pivoting to what is sort of my last attempt at the practical is what are the things that can be learned from this? Revisiting some of the themes that we have hit in the past, uh, let me remind us that Sabbath started in the goodness of creation God rested, so to be fully human and to be fully alive is to, like, acknowledge that it's okay sometimes to be and not just do. But it became an explicit commandment when the people came out of Egypt. Okay, and, I, and I'm recapping some, but I think it's important for us to remember this. It became explicit when God needed his people to relearn what it meant to be human. And it didn't look like Egypt 
which was entirely focused on production and consumption and more, and never mind what that did to your neighbor in order for that to happen, right? Like, never mind, you've enslaved a whole swath of human beings and they have to keep pumping out bricks. And so Sabbath is, again, that, that emphasis to break the worldly pattern and cycle that who you are is what you can produce. You're only valuable in so much as you can do this thing. When I think about Isaiah and I think about Colossians, in some ways it's a variation of this same thing if we just do the right thing then the Lord will love us, right? If we just fast enough, if we just show up to worship enough, if we just read our Bibles enough, if we do the thing, whatever the thing may be. But it's back to having to prove somehow that we're worth loving at all, right? It's same story, just cloaked in religious practice. And so both Paul and Isaiah say, motive matters. The Lord loves you and wants to bless you, but if you think somehow like you have to work for it, that's not going to work. And, and second of all, you, you can't manipulate God. I'm actually, that's, I said second of all, I'm going to make that third of all. So in between, let's hit number two. Isaiah and Colossians both teach us that Sabbath, its fruits should be visible seven days a week. Uh, back to the concept of Pharaoh. If you'll remember a few weeks ago, we talked about not, not just that the people had been delivered out of Egypt, but God had to help them get Egypt out of them. If you're a person for whom Sabbath has broken the lie in your heart, that you are what you produce and they are what they can offer you, then, then not just Sabbath looks different. All six days look different, right? Back to this concept of the Israelites in Isaiah are, are wanting liberation for themselves, but they don't care enough to liberate anybody else. It's as if they want to be let go from Egypt, but still want to let Le Egypt be alive and well in them. And to be perfectly honest, in the end, the only people they're stealing from are themselves. They haven't really been liberated at all, have they? If it's just the same old sort of misery, just a different address. And then finally, and I feel like all of this culminates in this third point, back to the manipulation Sabbath is actually meant to change something, but it isn't God. Sabbath isn't how we convince God to bless us or to care for us or to give us things that are good. Sabbath is meant to restore us. One of the commentaries that I read in Isaiah, and I at least found it to be personally very convicting, is that it talked about how, first of all, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah was calling the people out about not only how was their religion 
wrongly motivated. But it revealed the complexity that maybe they were the source of their own problem. Now, that's, nothing is ever all one thing or the other, other. They were in exile, right? And the Babylonians weren't exactly like warm and cuddly. But as it turns out, God wanted not just to rescue them, but to redeem them. The brokenness wasn't just out there, that some of it was in here, and only when they could take a moment to confess that, first of all, to acknowledge it, and then second of all, to confess it, which again is this season of Lent, of confession. Only then could they truly be healed. It wasn't that God didn't want to rescue them. It just was that God understood they, understood they needed far more rescuing than they knew. And so part of honest Sabbath is, again, not performing the roles in order to manipulate God, but positioning yourself in such a way that you allow God to invade and transform you. Your circumstances may or may not change your external ones, but your experience of them will become completely different, and, and isn't that the gospel anyway? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus helps us to have life and life abundant here. Not just there someday, although certainly we look forward to that. And so toward that end, I just invite us to be reflective about how we spend the next seven days. Not in a way that is legalistic, okay? This isn't your pastor saying, make sure you really mean it when you sing that hymn with the close of this service, okay? That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to create a list of things you got to do. But if there were ever a week in the cyclical calendar that is the Christian year, that we might, like, take time to be holy, as the hymn says. It might be this one, wouldn't you say? To allow ourselves uh, not to do the things in a regimented, performative sort of way, but allow God to do the work in us that is his redemption and his liberation, and that's, after all, why it is all of us probably showed up here this morning, right? Let us not go through the motions, but, but let God go to work inside of us. Because I don't want it to be legalistic, I'm not going to give you a list of things you have to do. If you're not here on Monday, Thursday, I'll still love you. But let us see what the Lord might be up to for us. If we have the right heart and the right motivation and we seek the wellness that God has, not just for us, but for all of humanity, because God wants to give us that. Uh, coming back to Jesus, where we started in Mark 2, here are some things that Jesus says. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, meaning it is a gift 
God actually created Sabbath for us, not to demand something from us. So the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And then a few sentences later, Jesus says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? He doesn't answer, but it's one of those rhetorical questions. Clearly the right answer is the Sabbath is meant for good and for saving life. To do good and to save life. It is my hope and my prayer that if we feel led to lean into Sabbath in whatever ways that the Lord is speaking to us, not only will we do good, but maybe the life that will be saved can be our own. All right, let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you that you completely reorient and turn upside down our world. You do that because our world is broken. And it can only be set to right when you turn those things upside down. The lies that more is more. The lies that we are what we do. The lies that people are only valuable in so much as they offer some value to us. You had to turn the world upside down because it was broken. But that requires constant reminders from you, Lord. Whispers and callings to our soul saying there is a better way. You don't have to live in the life that isn't life. I am calling you to life that is good and abundant and full. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy hearted. God, I pray that in this week, and not just in this week, but in beyond, help us to receive the gift of Sabbath, not in a legalistic sort of way, but in the ways in which you intend, so that the life, again, that might be saved could be our own. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.